BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to Friend of a Friend. I'm your host, Olivia Perez. Today's episode is such a cool one because we are talking to someone that is truly at the forefront of a very controversial conversation today. Is retail dead? After listening to this episode, I think you might think twice on your answer on that one. Because today we are joined by Madeline Ringo. She is the designer and founder of Ringo Studios. and The mastermind designer behind stores you have seen all over your Instagram and you've seen lines wrapped around the corner for like Glossier, Studs, Bala, and more. After she got her architecture master's degree from Yale, she went on to become widely known as the creative at the helm of what we now call experiential design. She scales brand identities to life with a commitment to originality, bold textures, larger-than-life objects, and colors that just make you feel really good. In this episode, Madeline and I talk all about her creative process of bringing brands off-screen, what makes a space truly Instagrammable, and her thoughts on the ever-changing retail industry. I hope you guys love today's episode. If you haven't followed the show, find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and make sure you follow us, rate, and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in and have an incredible week ahead. Here's my conversation with my friend, Madeline Ringo. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Ready for spring. Trying to to wear my way into the spring and summer colors. <laughs> I think we're getting there in New York. I love to hear that. I am such a big believer in color therapy. And I talk about this all the time. I'm so excited that your name landed in my inbox because I used to work for Glossier. So I feel like we have a ton of overlap, which is really fun. Oh, that's fun. What did you do there? Okay. Believe it or not, I think you're going to love this, but I was a senior in college. So it was 2015, 2016. And I had gotten a job there as the assistant to the head of entertainment. So we were essentially doing all of the booking and the casting for both Glossier campaigns and then people for Into the Gloss stories. But as that was like during a period where Into the Gloss was actually beginning, they were beginning to do it less and less and really put a lot of amplification behind Glossier. And so Mm -hmm. they actually pulled me over to be the first shop girl for their summer Friday, like like Glossier summer Fridays up on the penthouse floor of 
the old Lafayette space. So I was the first shop girl for Glossier, fun fact. What what a resume moment. <laughs> and also a fun tie-in because now you obviously build their incredible stores that people probably take months to train for. And little old me was, the, you know, the first girl in the attic, basically. Yeah. <laughs> when we used to, I remember the first day, I think we had estimated like a couple hundred people would come in. We actually had to like call in backup from like, other girls who used to work for Glossier to come in and help me out because we had like a thousand people lining up on Lafayette. It was insane. Isn't that crazy? That's just like, that's just sort of the magic that they, that, you know, that they created within that brand and like the obsession over it and the community that they built around it, which became like a model for so many other places. I mean, they still have lines, so it's not, it didn't go away. (laughs) I'm so excited to hear about your experience and your journey in this because you are someone that I love Everything that you do, I love and I'm so curious about. And I think it's such a center. You know, if you're in marketing today, if you're in social media, so much of your work is really at the center of so many things that I find people are gravitating towards and paying attention to. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to hear about your journey. What? How did you get your start in being an architectural designer? Yeah, so I grew up in a very creatively free, you know, household. My mom was an artist and took me to, she was also a teacher. So she sort of helped me explore in a very mentoring type relationship, all of the different ways to communicate through visual language. So I grew up doing all sorts of different, you know, playing around with painting, drawing, entering competitions, pushing myself, like exploring fashion design, like making jewelry for everybody in the neighborhood. And I think that kind of freedom gave me both like an entrepreneurial spirit, but one that was like really grounded in like creative background. And I knew that I wanted, I remember telling myself that I couldn't be an artist for some reason, like an artist, that's not a real job. And that's such a silly young person thing to, to say to yourself. Yeah. I was on my way to become a graphic designer and was touring some campuses and like stumbled upon the architecture school at the University of Kentucky. And it was on a tour of that school where they took me into the studio where all these students were building these beautiful models where this like total obsession just like blanketed over me. And that was it. It was just in that, like, I very much remember like the emotional and the visual experience of that one moment. And yeah, I just became totally obsessed with the idea of space and creating space and creating narratives through space and using these architectural tools as like a medium of art. I wanted to design public space and it really kind of became apparent that in today's world, like a public space can be a retail store because it's a space for community. And so it it kind of, you know, I just started seeing it more less as a retail Uh, store and more as a place for community. And that was really satisfying. I really like what you were just saying about public spaces and how retail spaces can be that too and and serve a greater purpose. Mm -hmm. I've always been really inspired. I was reading an article recently that said in Copenhagen, the government has been planting fruit and vegetable trees all around the city so that by the time they grow, anyone that lives in the city has access to fresh fruit, fresh fresh veggies, and they can take it as Mm. they go. And I love things like that really inspire me. Like how can we bring community together in, you know, ways that's not just around retail or around food. Like what are actual pinpoints within cities that bring people together? And I wonder in your mind, if there are things right now that are inspiring you when it comes to that is whether it's like 
an object or a place or a thing? Is there something that's just on your mind that you think is really cool culturally right now? Hmm. Well, you know, I get a lot of inspiration. I, I call like I have these days where I just sort of purposefully wander the streets in Manhattan just to absorb everything that's going on, pop into all of the stores, like see what other people are building and creating and, and even just how brands are showing up. There's so much activity in in Manhattan and it's just like such a ground for inspiration. When I'm looking for inspiration, just whether that's like working with a new brand or like starting off a new project, I really like to do on the ground research. And I really like to like put myself in the shoes of the customer. And sometimes that means like going to a new city where the project might be and really like understanding the context of the city, like exploring on foot, like gathering photos and pictures of like the textures that represent that, that area, but also like having meals at the the coolest restaurants and understanding like what, what vibe is already taking place and what momentum that you should build off of and like weave yourself into. And I think when it comes to working with different brands, the inspiration, you know, first of all, comes from like their, you know, all of the amazing work that they've already built, whether it's a, a new brand or a brand that's been around for a while, like diving in to all of their amazing product decks and their mood boards and their campaigns and really kind of like, you know, pulling from that library, like grabbing a couple pieces from here and there and sort of splashing it together in kind of a new interpretation of that. We'll be right back after a quick break. Mother's Day is next weekend. Do you guys have a gift? I have a discount code for an amazing gift if you're on the hunt. This year, I'm getting my Mother's Day gift from Ana Luisa. It's a jewelry brand with a simple but clear-cut idea that high-quality jewelry shouldn't cost the planet. It's released in limited batches every Friday, and each piece is put through rigorous testing to ensure that their quality is unmatched. They use chemical, physical tests, and on-site inspections to guarantee that their metals are always safe, nickel-free, and hypoallergenic. They also use combination stress tests to make sure that your favorite pieces are life-proof so you can wear them all day, every day with confidence. Another fun fact that I love about them the most, they're carbon neutral from their packaging to their products. That's something that I really look for when I'm finding new brands and sharing them back today. Ana Luisa crafts high quality jewelry pieces at very affordable prices too. Their designs are always unique and always make me feel my most polished without ruining my bank account. Their designs are contemplated with all sizes, gender expressions, and styles in mind from the perfect gold hoop to personalized jewelry, gemstones, pearls, no matter the time or place, they have me covered on my jewels. This Mother's Day, I'm getting my mom, mom, I hope you're not listening to this, the mama necklace for $59. It's a gold-plated necklace that I know she is just going to love. Go to shop.analuisa.com backslash friend to shop for mom's day and treat her to new jewelry pieces with Anna Luisa's buy one, get one 40% off sale. That's one piece for her and one piece for you. Again, that's shop.analuisa, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A dot com backslash friend. I know you're going to love them. Now let's get back to the show. In this work for other brands, there's some, obviously something about your style that is so unique to you. I know that it's you when I see it on the street or walk into a retail store. I know Madeline did this. What was the process like of, okay, starting to work for these other brands, but also honing in and figuring out what your unique style was and how that shows up in the work that you do for other brands? 
usually involves a lot of curves. <laughs> One thing. We love curves. We love the curves. You know, it's interesting, like, like you said, I do work for, I do create spaces for multiple different types of brands that very much have their own aesthetic and their own brand identity. And, you know, of course, when you're designing for them, you have to not only create a new type of space or a new design language for them, but you also have to make sure that it sits within the market of, of their competitors within the market of the neighborhood. How is it going to stand out with in like large circles, but also smaller circles. But yeah, I mean, I think like the thread, when you look at a bunch of, a bunch of the projects for all of these different brands that I've worked on, if you look at the design threads through them, they're very textural. They're very colorful. I love to take risks with vibrant colors or like textures, like putting, you know, tile and velvet next to each other. So there's always this thread of kind of, yeah, I think just like a hyper-textual space and also something that feels very playful and lighthearted. What do you think makes good architecture? Like to you, what do you think a space should facilitate when someone walks in the room? Um, I would definitely say that emotional connection, those kind of like, I call them the heartbeat moments. You know, the when you walk in and you notice the space, like you can go into many places around the city or, or in, you know, throughout the world. And like, you're just going about your business sort of there for a transactional experience, or you're there for efficiency to get something done. But I think what makes, you know, really good architecture and really good interior spaces is when, when the customer or the people moving about it, when it has, when it triggers a reaction within them, whether that's, you know, something where they feel calm or they notice this ascent in the space, or they're like, they pick up on a texture on the wall and it sort of brings them into a present moment and allows them to like really kind of, yeah, I guess like notice things and have a reaction to them, whether that's excitement or it makes them feel confident or, you know, like thinking about in the way that people experience spaces now through the lens of social media, like it makes them excited to celebrate their life or whatever activity they're doing and share it with others. Totally. I couldn't agree more. So last week I was in Portland. I went to the Nike campus for my first time, which I'm sure for people listening who might not know is designed by Skylabs. And it's really, really incredible place. I went there because they are about to open a brand new building. It's the largest building on their campus. It's a million square feet. It's all dedicated to Serena Williams. And I was truly blown away by how micro they got in the detail of dedication to her. But Mm -hmm. on a macro level, just looking at the entire campus and seeing how they've integrated sport or evoking the emotion of sport through Mm -hmm. every aspect of the campus, whether it's like providing beautiful gyms all over the campus for their staff to constantly be active or the LeBron James building actually has this run alongside the building where you can actually it's kind of like a a stair workout you can and it's Mm. it's stationary it's obviously not moving but you can run your way up to the top of the building instead of getting in the elevator to work and they're there they are just these beautiful design elements that aren't obvious but give you the choice to choose sport every day and by Mm, doing that it was amazing and I, I sat in on a talk that the head of design John Hoke was speaking at, and he actually talked about the fact that all that is so intentional because the more that their staff engages in sport, 
the more they become curious to solve problems in sport, which is really what Nike's true mission is. So Mm -hmm. it really made me think about you and your work in this interview. And I was so moved by that. I'm not someone who Mm -hmm. I would consider particularly athletic, but just the idea that a space could create that curiosity within you to maybe investigate something deeper about yourself, about your passions, or even solve a problem. I was really inspired by. Yeah. I I mean, I love that. Even just that idea of like evoking curiosity or evoking playfulness in a space, like something we just completed a project for Bala. Um, We just finished their New York. They actually both came (laughs) on the podcast. They came on the podcast like a year and a half ago. If you guys are listening and you love Bala Bangles, which so many people do, they came on the show right after they did Shark Tank. And it's an awesome episode. If you want to go back through the crazy inventory of episodes that we've done and find it. It's a great one. (laughs) Yeah. They were such a fun team to work with and collaborate with. But yeah, I mean, when, when we were approaching the design of the retail store in New York, the priority was to create a space that encouraged people to explore the products and to play it, you know, again, going back to this idea that I think maybe a good retail space isn't just purely transactional and it does give the customer a choice to just come in, learn about the brand, have fun, you know, explore the products and learn something through, you know, engaging with them and through like having a sense of curiosity. And the design of the Bala store is very playful and very colorful. And and we really kind of created this dreamy aesthetic inside that sort of overscaled all of their products. Like there's a beam that's 10 foot tall and there's like an 11 foot tall arch portal that takes you into like a shag carpet pink room everything is like so sensorial and and it's really meant for you to sort of wander from place to place and explore all these different vignettes and through that engage with their products and the brand story about you know the the shape and the materiality and their mission which is to say really that they're giving you tools to explore movement in your own way and giving you a choice about how you explore your own sense of exercise and movement. I'm really interested in what you just said with even that store, what the overall goal was. And I actually looked at photos of that store. It is so cool. You have like a, <laughs> for those of you who are listening and haven't seen it, look up photos, especially if you're a fan of Bala, cause you have almost like a chair in there that is yeah. a cur- the curve the, of the mm-hmm. Bala weight. Yes, and it's the Bala bangle chair. It is so cool. And I always find that to be so intriguing to me as a consumer and a lover of these brands, you know, whether it's that or like a ginormous boy brow or, Mm -hmm. you know, blowing up these design elements. How Mm -hmm. how do you go into thinking like bringing those tenants into a store? Is that what you think consumers want to see today? What is the like process of really deciding those elements for high impact? It's a great question because you know, a lot of these pop-up stores and these retail experiences are as much, you know, a brand awareness space as they are getting customers familiar with their products. And so you do want to make a big impact. We wanted customers to come away understanding the geometry and the playfulness of their products. So with like oversizing those, like the, the bangle chair and the oversized beam, also the bar in the front it's almost meant to be sort of a departure from their products, but still sort of the same semicircle geometry. And it's a super smoothed edge surface. 
But all of those things were creating this sort of like dreamy world. And it was really meant to, to take someone off of the streets of New York and put them into something that made them kind of like, you know, feel, feel a sense of, of really of like imagination and of play. We actually, you know, when, when we would design the Glossier spaces, often we would talk about a lot of their, when they open retail stores, a lot of their windows, we would frost them so that once you were in the space, you were like, so in this other world. And this, you know, it was almost like the sidewalk of New York disappeared into the background. And it's tricks like that, that allow people to get really connected with, you know, whatever they're exploring in the space. And, and they really kind of, you know, they don't, they forget that they were just walking down the sidewalk in Soho and they're sort of in this totally imaginary imaginative space. We'll be right back after a quick break. Did you know that less than 14% of sports journalists are female or that less than 4% of sports coverage is on female athletes? If you caught last week's episode of the podcast, you know that I am a huge fan and supporter of The Gist. For those of you who are just meeting The Gist, I'm going to tell you why it's one of the coolest newsletters that you can subscribe to today. It's a four times a week newsletter that essentially gives you the gist of what's going on in the sports world. It's written by women, but it's made for everyone. It covers all the biggest headlines in men's and women's sports. It's bite-sized, curated, and digestible, which I love. Last week on the podcast, I had one of their co-founders, Ellen Heislop, on the show, and we talked all about what it means to grow a newsletter to over 700,000 subscribers, what she thinks about the newsletter boom, and so much more. So if you want to hear more about the company, go ahead and check that episode out. It was so great to talk to Ellen and learn more about their mission. What I love most about the newsletter is that it provides all the context that I need for a really fun and meaningful read. No matter my background or experience with sports, I feel like I'm in the know. It's really playful and conversational, and it just feels like a breath of fresh air in today's typical, aka primarily male, sports culture. They also have a two times a week podcast, The Gist of It, that discusses current sports topics and how they intersect with pop culture, like media boycotts in sports, racism in the NFL, and so much more. Sign up for their free four times a week sports newsletter at thegistsports.com backslash, backslash subscribe, and check out their podcast, The Gist of It, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now let's get back to the show. With spring right around the corner, I am very into my new rituals, quite literally. If you're looking for a new multivitamin, I have a code for ritual, which over the past few years has become a huge part of my everyday routine and something that I just look forward to every morning. Since moving, I've become such a routine person. It's made me feel at home and in my place. And this is one of those things that I cannot start my day without. Did you know that over 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D in their diet and that 95% are not getting the recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Those are gaps that we should absolutely not be ignoring in our diet, which is why I actually started taking Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin every morning. It's formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. So basically everything. It's so good that they actually invested in a gold standard university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. The results, Essentials for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41%, all in just 12 weeks. The clinical study was published in leading scientific journal Frontiers in Nutrition, which is a very big deal and a huge commitment to a first-of-its-kind standard in the industry. 
Ritual is committed to third-party testing from USP and the non-GMO project, traceable, vegan-friendly ingredients, and always clear communication. No shady stuff or things that I just can't pronounce. It's my all-in-one vitamin that lets me know my body's getting all of its nutrients. And right now, Ritual is offering you guys 10% off your first three months, ritual.com backslash friend, and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com backslash friend. Now let's get back to the show. I love this conversation, and especially in a post, I don't want to say post-pandemic, but as as good <laughs> as we're going to get in that world, I you know, a big conversation in fashion especially is this kind of, is retail dead? Are are people moving to e-commerce? But I'd love to hear your take on this because something I think about often, you know, I live really close to the pink wall in LA, which is like a phenomenon mm-hmm. in and of itself. I, yes, I, I <laughs> it's very never, interesting. I will never understand why people fly to LA to go take a photo in front of a pink wall. Right, it's wild. I'm sure from your perspective, it might, must be really fascinating to one, be designing in a time where we are so digitally focused. Obviously, couple that with the the urge and like human desire to be back in real life, back in stores. But then once you're in that store, that physical space has to also translate digitally. So yeah. it's not just about this like, hey, I'm going to go in this store and enjoy it. That store also has to resonate on Instagram. I totally. wonder how that experience has been like for you as a designer. <laughs> yeah, it has been truly has been fascinating to go down this and just like just dive into it really like not trying to fight it but yeah figuring out how yeah how does like exactly like you said how do you create designs that translate onto social media a lot of the brands that I work with their clientele their customers they're so interested in social media and they're on it all the time it is part of their daily life and they want to go to spaces that they can share with their with their friends through social media and it's really interesting, like coming from it, you know, from like a sculptural and an architectural perspective, it's always interesting to design both the photograph for like, you almost, you have, you have to lean into it. You have, to, they're going to take photos anyway. So you have to make the photo that they take magical. And yeah. And I always think about, you know, there's always these little vignettes that you that you create for people in the store. There's certain things that you have to think about, like the mirrors and what the mirrors are reflecting and, and, you know, making sure that the entire composition becomes special or, and that's what sort of sets them apart from other, maybe the other version of, of a selfie moment, which is just a mirror in a store, but no one thought about the background or nobody thought about how wide the mirror is and how close the lights are so that it gets the right light on your face. But yeah, I mean, I think like, people right now, they are so ready to come back and celebrate being out and about and like being with their friends again. And these retail spaces are, are places where they go with their friends and their community. And it becomes, you know, a special activity for them, especially when the stores are really interactive, you know, where you're exploring the different weights or where, you know, you're spending time in the store. That's, you know, another thing that a lot of these a lot of these spaces often encourage customers to not feel like they have to come in and come out, but that they can stay there and play and hang out, sit on a lounge bench, you know, take the selfies, like be there for a while and, and not feel rushed to leave. They want to go there and it takes amazing co- photos because content is really important right now to everybody. Content is king. And 
in everything. Yeah. And so, I mean, we definitely think about that a lot while we're designing. We talk a lot about what are, you know, not only things like how are the colors going to show up in a phone because the phone translates spaces very uniquely. And so we, sometimes we over-design into that as well. Like the proportion of, of social media, like you think about the proportion of an Instagram story and how that, what, what is going to be captured in the composition of that when someone is using that device. So what do you say to people who say retail is dead? It's so not dead. It's like thriving, I think. But I do, I operate in a certain type of retail, I guess. I, you know, people may, I, maybe only experiential retail is the one that's surviving. Again, like the generation that is the biggest consumer right now, they're interested in purchasing, but then they want an experience out of it. And they want, they want to be able to share they want content out of it. Like it has to come with content. So yeah, I think a certain type of retail might be dead, but even during the pandemic, I worked a lot with studs and you know, a lot of retail spaces were pausing. A lot of places were slowing down. And they were of, like, we're opening in Austin and Miami. I was like looking at my yeah. email like, what is going on? And by the way, I love studs. I love Lisa. I love that whole team. All of my piercings are from studs. I have to avoid oh. Melrose Place, which by the way, I love that store, which yes. you designed. But I have yes. to avoid it because I don't have any more ear room. But this place oh, was wow. popping off during the pandemic. They were opening yeah. everywhere. They really tapped in, you know, like they were, they just really went for it. And they, they used it as an opportunity to really explore their retail footprint and move forward when other people were holding back or pausing. And it was incredible. The spaces for studs, like they're such fun, playful spaces again for like, you know, a totally different, a totally different brand aesthetic. They have their their own special set of materials and the, the story and the narrative that we're, we're playing with there is all about piercing. So the geometry is related to the back of the earring and the colors, we have to design those spaces to celebrate the colors of the jewelry. And also like the, the scale of the jewelry was always really interesting is how do you, how do you celebrate like a micro tiny object in a large store and right. so that it doesn't get lost within the space they really like went for it and their customers appreciated it. I think, you know, in a time when they felt like they couldn't go anywhere and there was nothing that they could do and no places that they could go, you could go to studs and you could get your ear pierced. And that might be the best thing that happened to you that week in like, what was a really challenging time. Especially for a brand like that, that is innovating on, on such a great level. Like for me, you know, I remember when I was living in New York and I wanted to get my ears pierced, people were like, okay, go to the tattoo parlor. And I'm like, right. where's Claire's? Like, I loved Claire's. <laughs> like, so I think for brands that are innovating like that, I, I totally agree with you. I think that there's a huge opportunity for retail spaces. And if they marry that innovation with something that feels really unique experientially, I think that's mm-hmm. where businesses and brands are going to strike gold moving forward in retail. And if you don't keep up with that, I don't think a lot of those brands that do have spaces are going to continue to succeed and thrive. Totally. Yeah. And I think, you know, I always... Like, you know, when I think about the types of clients that we love working with, it's always a brand or, you know, a group of people or a group of creatives that wants to take a risk and wants to try something different. And I think that's also, you know, the secret recipe of all of these places that are having a lot of success is that they're, they're standing out amongst other competitors and really kind of reinventing a certain part of their industry. And you know, that, that makes like the perfect client for us because we want to be challenged with 
you know, with a strange, with a strange design problem. And that's what makes the, the project really fun. And, and then when it's successful, um, that's kind of where all the joy comes from in the design process. Do you have a piece of advice for people listening who might want to go into the architecture, design, retail space? Yes, I would say, you know, certainly getting to know the brands and the CEOs that inspire you, figuring out what missions that you're excited about. Because I think the easiest way to design is if if you feel connected with the brand or the mission that you're getting behind. Yeah, and and really kind of, making sure that you're on, that you're watching for who the next group is and, and being, being sort of in step with when they're, you know, many of our clients have come about through genuinely me just being very interested in their mission and their brand and reaching out, having a conversation and realizing that they were at the same time ready to come into the retail space. So I would say, you know, as a young designer or, or a young studio, like going after the things that you want, like pretty aggressively and, you know, not waiting for those types of projects to come to you. But like, if you're feeling connected to a brand and you're feeling like excited by them, you're probably going to have a great design relationship and you're probably going to do great work with that team. Madeline, this was so fun. I like love talking about retail and experiences and anything that's like in the fashion space. So I really, really loved getting to talk to you and hearing your experience and all your insights on the future of retail. So thank you so much. Thank you. This was a pleasure. I enjoyed it as well. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.